Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh, soon to be joined by Levitard Show's Amin El Hassan. But I'm really excited about our guest today. It's my guy, George Carl, former NBA coach, one of the all-time winningest coaches in the league, five seasons with the Milwaukee Bucks, and obviously had a lot of battles and at the top of the NBA playoffs with the Denver Nuggets and Seattle Supersonics. Lots to get into here with the NBA Finals. But first, how are you doing, my man? Tom, my life is good. My life is easy. Uh, hanging out, you know, COVID was somewhat depressing a little bit, but, uh, you know, I've lived through it and uh, I, I love the summertime and I, it's time for family and my grandchildren and playing golf and running around the country again. I'm going with Get to go back and play at Carolina. We missed that last year, so we'll, we'll have some fun. Nice. You're wearing a, a Sonics hat right now, and right off the bat, for the Sonics fans out there, Seattle fans, how soon are the Sonics going to get an NBA team? As soon as they expand, I hope. I mean, the rumors are pretty strong. Uh, I went up there about, I don't know, a month or two ago and looked at the new building. Tim Lewicki is kind of an old-time guy, been around the NBA, been in hockey, been in probably football, I think. And he, Tim and Todd are great sportsmen, of, of and, I'm, and I think they're, fairly, they're, they're both committed to bringing basketball back to Seattle. Uh, I think because of COVID, I think the NBA has gotten a little more anxious to bring uh, an expansion to basketball. So I'm not sure it's the right time to do it, but you never know if it's the right time or the wrong time. So I'm uh, optimistic. You know, I spent about a week up there with them and I visited with Bob Whitson and saw some of the old time Sonics. And it was a good week and uh, cross our fingers and hopefully they'll expand in uh, hopefully a year or two. Well, lots of talent around the league to disperse to whatever expansion team, uh, if there is a Sonics uh, reboot in Seattle. But um, one of the players that's super talented is a guy that is your favorite NBA player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Curious, he doesn't seem like... I don't know if there's like a classic George Carl player, but what is it about Giannis Antetokounmpo and what you're seeing from him in this postseason that makes him, of all the players, your favorite player? Well, most of my favorite players are usually point guards. Uh, you know, I like guys that make the game happen and, and run the game or coach coach the game as as a player, make people better. Um, uh, but, you know, Giannis has been my favorite for about the last two or three years. I just think he plays the game the right way. Uh, he gives you an unbelievably energized effort with great athleticism. And do we really know what position he plays? I mean, is he a point guard? Is he a point forward? Is he a center? Is he a pick and roll guy? Is he a ball handler in the pick and roll? I love the ability to be able to be that versatile and creative. Yeah, I wish he had a jump shot, but I'll tell you what, if he got a jump shot, he wouldn't be as good as he going to the basket. So um, I still think the way the game is played today, that the rim is where you want to go first. I know analytics is trying to change that to where the three-pointer is the best shot, but I still think the game of basketball is, can, be, can, be, can be played in a really fun way if you attack the rim and find the open man and move the ball around and play team basketball. When I watched that play last night, the block. Now Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiton. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block. 
block from Giannis. I was stunned. The fact that he was able to defend the lob, like he was he was shifting over to stop the lob, Devin Booker coming off the pick. And then he trailed, tracked the ball, turned around, and saw that DeAndre Ayton was going to catch this lob and went up and blocked it. So as you're watching this, and in your decades uh, watching coaching, playing the NBA and, and and pro ball. How high does that rank on the most impressive blocks that you've seen? Top five, maybe top three. I mean, my top one is a CBA block by a guy named James Woods. So, I mean. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I got to hear this one. Yeah, like give me give me the, the Woods block. It was in Atlantic City in a close game, about a one-point game. and A guy had a breakaway and James Wood is an athletic 6'10 kid from, I think, the University of Washington. and He, he sprinted back, and the guy kind of had to veer. And, you know, instead of pinning it against the backboard, he jumped up and turned in midair and spiked it <laughs> like a volleyball spike. Everyone's sleeping on the Woods block. Everyone sleeps on the Woods <laughs> yeah, block. Yeah, no one knows about James Wood, yeah. Yeah, everyone's talking about the Bam out of bio block and the and the LeBron James block and the Hakeem and but no one's talking about the James Woods block. Well, you know, I have a couple of CBA stories. Like the everybody says the worst punch in NBA history was the Rudy Tomjanovich punch uh, from Kermit Washington. But I had one where Sam Clancy hit Ron Valentine. Ron Valentine was the MVP of the CBA in the one year, and he punched him. And I was in the game, and I ran. I was, I was about twenty feet from the, the fight. And I ran out to the court, and when I got to Ronnie Valentine, his face was already puffed, and it was unbelievable. So, you know, my my minor league days have old stories that I maybe because of the soulfulness of the CBA, I remember them a little bit more than the. 2,000 games I coached in the NBA. Coach, I, I'm curious. I mean, what's up? <laughs> what's up, Coach? What's going on? You need a haircut, man. You always need a haircut. Hey, man. Like, look, <laughs> the pandemic changed us all. <laughs> Damn, you look like a public golf course out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, relax over there. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> you already make fun of my bald ass head, so it's okay. I got one too now. <laughs> so coach we, you know we talked about Giannis's block and how amazing it is you have to understand how much he contorted his body most guys would have fallen on the ground that's right to where I'm where I'm getting with that it's such an incredible feat and then you look at it and you say wait a sec two weeks ago this guy's knee looked like an elbow it was inside out so w- in your experience what's been like the the fastest turnaround you've seen from an injury you saw happen, you say, oh my God, this guy's going to be out forever. And then two weeks later, he's making amazing plays. Well, I must brag a little bit on my Seattle Supersonic team since I'm wearing the hat. Two guys that came back from injuries faster than I've ever seen is Gary Payton. Actually, in the finals, the year we went to the finals in Chicago, he had a pulled, uh, what's the, calf muscle. And, you know, I mean, it, it was, I mean, the doctors said he shouldn't play. I mean, you wouldn't be playing unless you're playing in the NBA finals. And it would swell up after every game and he'd have to ice it and ice it to get it down to where it wasn't painful enough. And Deadless Shrimp was another guy. I don't know what injury he got. I think it was the year we went to the finals. He got something towards the, towards the end of the year. And he, he actually rented a hyperbaric chamber 
to, to, to heal himself. So, I mean, I had a couple guys that kind of before the times was really into rehab and, and put, spent the time in to get their injuries. Today, I think, I mean, there's no question that Giannis's injury, I was shocked there wasn't damage. And I, I remember when Milwaukee, I was talking to one of the Milwaukee assistants uh, after, after an injury, and they said, they say there's no damage. And that was kind of shocking to me. I thought they were fibbing a little bit. I thought they were playing injury injury tag a little bit. <laughs> Coach, I'm thinking about the injuries a lot in this, in this series, especially with, uh, in the beginning, Giannis, of course, with the hyperextended knee, like we were just talking about. But also, here in Game 4, it seemed like Chris Paul was really favoring that left hand or was really sloppy in ways that Chris Paul is not traditionally making those mistakes. And he seemed very turnover prone and not dribbling with his left hand nearly as much. I'm curious as a coach, if I'm Budenholzer, I notice this injury, or maybe he's favoring a hand. I'm talking about the coaching ethics of going after a player when you know that he's got a bad hand or a bad calf or a bad knee. Do you have any ethical concerns as a coach about targeting an injury like that in the finals? Um, That's a tough question. As a player, I had no concerns. Zero. I mean, I wanted, as a player, I wanted every advantage I could get. And if that means I got to slap his left hand three times or four times to help us win the game, I'd do it. Actually, as a coach, I've talked about that a little bit, about is teaching your team the foul when referees don't know where, how the, what spaces aren't visually covered. And I really think you know, I really think we try to trick the referees too much. And so there's a, I have more ethics probably towards refereeing and, and not messing with them and not trying to hide the game. Um, but as a coach, I want it to be a fair fight. I, I don't want it to be an uneven fight. But if like Giannis is, is laboring with a knee issue, are you saying like, hey man, Go at him. we got to make him run? Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No mercy. We got to force him to move laterally because he's he's not one hundred percent. No, I, mean, I don't. I don't think you do any anything that's in the in the realm of playing the game and playing the game hard. I think that's fine. But if you're targeting hitting the knee or hitting the hand or hitting the hitting the whatever the hip or the back, but making them work, I think is a fair fair part of the ethics of the game. Coach, when you look at what Giannis has done in these last three games, really, and the way they've used him in particular, you know, you said earlier, what is he? Is he a point forward? Is he a center? I've kind of been very steadfast throughout the playoffs. I think they should play him at center. I think him at center gives them an advantage uh, over almost every matchup he has. And it helps them put the rest of the floor be a little bit more spaced out, a little bit more mobile. Not that Brooke isn't a spacer, but Brooke is so slow that it's harder to move things around. Um, it, do you, uh, do you agree with me there or, or, or is it, is it more of a, of a thing of just Giannis is getting stronger and better and that's why he's playing better. I think anything that puts him in the paint, catching the ball in rhythm and in movement. I, I think he's a good one-on-one player, but I don't think he's a great one-on-one player. But I think he's a great finisher. 
I think when he has an advantage, he never gives an advantage back. His length is so long, and his ability to change directions is, is tremendous. And his hands, his length, is, 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 it comes out when there, there's movement, and the defensive player's in his stance and down, and he's just, he's just reaching for it. No one can get to him. So I, I agree with you, playing him in, in the paint or playing him uh, in the short corner or playing him in the dunker, maybe a post-up every once in a while. But I love him in the role when he pick and rolls in the basket rather than pick and pops. Getting him the ball in the window is a great play for him. But I do think Phoenix found some answers to covering him last night. You know, in a lot of ways, I thought Phoenix played the better game. I thought Phoenix, in a lot of ways, was the better basketball team. And somehow, some way, uh, the great game by Middleton overcomes Phoenix's playing, I think, a pretty damn good game. If Chris Paul was just average, I think Phoenix wins that game. Right. And so I, I think it's a very even series. It's a series that the home court might be the difference. It might be the difference maker. Um, I think you got a team that I thought had more confidence and more magic, playoff magic going coming in. There was Phoenix. But Milwaukee has gradually taken away. And I think Milwaukee now, after last night's game, I feel that their defense is a little further ahead of Phoenix's defense from a playoff standpoint. And I also think the rebounding and turnover thing has got to be a concern because rebound and turnovers are giving Milwaukee so many more possessions to win the basketball game. And so that could change going back to Phoenix. I don't think they'll turn the ball over like they, they've turned it over in Milwaukee. Um, Chris Paul has two days, I think two days in between both games coming up, game five and game six. And I, I really think Milwaukee is, I think Milwaukee has been highly criticized. And I think they actually do a pretty damn good job with what they got. Milwaukee doesn't have a deep bench. They don't have a lot of talent after their first three or four guys. And I think they're doing a hell of a job figuring out how to beat a team that I think was playing, as I said, coming into this series. What were they? They were 15 and three or something like that. Yeah. 12 and two or, I mean, they, they not only were winning and don't get me wrong. They had a lot of injury luck go their way, but they were winning by 10 points. A lot of nights with easy wins. Coach, you mixed it up with Perk, Kendra Perkins on Twitter the last couple of days about the, about that very thing. Is Perk called him the dumbest team in finals history or something like that. I'm also curious about the idea of clapping back with media people. Like, have you ever gotten into it with someone that got personal and then years later you were just like, you know what, we shouldn't have done that? And I know the Perk one is just all fun and games, but how much fun do you get with clapping back with media over the years? I'm okay with it. I think the media right now, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, my, my podcast is called Truth and Media. And, you know, and the reason I want is I want the truth. And I, I just get tired of everybody hiding truth. Coaches hide the truth. Players hide the truth. Agents lie about the truth. I mean, general managers now, I mean, a general manager me told me, I said, do you ever tell the truth in the draft? He says, yeah, I tell the truth once every four years. 
<laughs> but you don't know what year he's going to be telling the truth. And so, you know, I mean, why do we have to be this way? After four years of Donald Trump, I, I, I just want, I want more transparency, more honesty, more basketball is a great game and we can make it. We can now with all the media coverage and all the internet coverage that we have, we can make it more sound really complicated, but you know, it's played best when it's really simple. You know, it's really a simple game if you play it well. So the, the person who you just reminded me of by saying that coach is is Coach Larry Brown, who's <laughs> you, you know how he always says, Tom Larry Brown will say like basketball is really simple. They're like four different plays. There's a pick and roll post up, uh, uh, flare screen, and I can't remember what the, the an ISO. And down, and I'm back. And, yeah, a DHO, right? And he says like. Everything else that you hear is just bullshit, basically, that people are making up to sound a lot more sophisticated when the game itself is a very simple game. I saw that uh, he, Coach Brown is going to be joining Penny Hardaway's staff down in Memphis. Unbelievable. Just put that in perspective, Coach, like that, that Larry Brown, after all these years, is still out here teaching the game. The one thing I miss about the game more than anything else is the camaraderie of, of preparing for a practice and going to practice. The, 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 the camaraderie before a practice where you're you know, trash talking with players and your you're, you're ego management and talking and telling stories and joking around. And then you got, you know, there's always probably one or two conversations. You've got to be pretty serious. And that whole, you know, ba your basketball family you spend more time with your basketball family in the NBA season than you do with your own family. And you get close to a lot of people. And that's, that's what I think I miss. I mean, I miss a little bit of the game competition of coaching the game against the guy and figuring, trying to figure out how to win the game. I miss that, but I miss my basketball camaraderie before the practices, after the practices. I actually, actually probably miss dealing with you guys. After practice sometimes. <laughs> I think I always wanted to do it in a funny way, in a jovial way. But you know, it's it's pretty serious. I mean I mean when I when I get fired or when I got when I, I got fired a lot, when I got fired, people don't understand there's another ten or twenty people who got fired with me. Right. And you know their families really well. And you it hurts. It hurts when, you know, Head coaches have enough money. They don't have to get another job a lot of times in their career. But assistant coaches, when, when you get fired, you, you're kind of responsible for them getting fired, too. But I think Larry Brown, I think Larry Brown's great. He's an encyclopedia of basketball. He, help, he wants to help young coaches. I think Penny Hardaway is doing a pretty good job. I think, I, think, I think he's been pretty impressive in what he's done down there. And if Larry can help him and lift him up and be better, I think I'm all thumbs up for it. Coach, I know we got to get you out of here, but I had one very serious journalism question for you, a hard-hitting question. Um, last night, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the first quarter left early in the game. No one really seemed to know what would it, it was about. After the game, he was asked about it, and he said he had to go tinkle. I saw that. <laughs> what is your best story in all your years of basketball of when nature calls – Something happened in the middle of the game or a player had to leave. Your best when nature calls story from all the years in basketball. I remember the game. I was coaching Golden State and we were playing Atlanta. I, I'm almost sure it was Atlanta. 
and it was a four or five overtime game. Oh, wow. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad. I was thinking about pulling the cup out and taking a piss right out of the floor. And I, after, as soon as the game was over, I you saw me sprinting. I mean, I ran to the locker room. But I remember that. I mean, I mean, because, you know, when you coach, you got to drink a lot of water. And, you know, so we're going like 25 more extra minutes. And I mean, and then there's timeouts and, you know, end the game. It makes. Are you putting in your worst players in the second overtime? No. Just like, hey, we got to end this game. I can't do it. But I, I mean, I, rem- I remember the pain I was going through sitting on the bench. <laughs> so, Coach, it's everybody who has, we've all been there before. You got to go, and then you really got to go. But before you hit the point where you're sprinting, it happens a lot earlier. Like, you know what? I could really go to the bathroom, but this will be done in about five minutes, so I'll be good. What point in the game did you first feel that pressure? Like, I need this game to end because I got to go right now. It's probably like the first or second overtime. It was early. <laughs> I had a lot of willpower to hold that sucker in. I mean, it was it was crazy, and I'm probably suffering from it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is exactly the answer I wanted, Coach. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you got to run, but you got people all over the NBA, whether it's Jamal Mosley or Nate McMillan. I know uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, lots of the folks in the George Carl tree, and I'm sure you're having a good time watching everybody get jobs and and ha- you know performing at the highest level of the game. So thanks so much for joining us, Coach. Blessings to you all. I appreciate you all. Thanks, George Carl, for joining us on the show. It's the NBA Finals. The stakes are high. The guests are super high. <laughs> Sober. In terms of the quality of guests, right? That too. I think that's what I mean there. It's the pinnacle of basketball right now, and I couldn't help but bring on our resident basketball historian, Abstract Shine, to go back into the uh, annals, right? I mean, the annals of NBA and, and basketball. Not to be confused with the annals of basketball history. But uh, I wanted to ask Abstract Shine because uh, George Carl just told a story about he was coaching a game. He had to, and it was towards the end of the game, he had to go to the bathroom. They said, I'll just hold it. And it ended up being like a four overtime game. And he and as soon as the game was like he said, at one point he thought about pulling out a cup and just peeing on the side of the court. Luckily, he held it, but he sprinted as soon as the game was over. Sprinted right down the tunnel, went to the bathroom. Uh, and I was wondering, like Don Shampoo, has he ever had this situation? Because we saw Giannis Antetokounmpo leave early in the game to go to the bathroom because he had to go to the bathroom. Does Don Shampoo ever find himself in a position where he's got to go? And, and how did he handle it? Back then, we didn't really have bathrooms, you know? So stuff like that, we didn't really worry about it. You would just go wherever you wanted, kind of on the court, the fans. We just didn't We didn't do that back then. You, you just would just whiz all over the floor? Yeah. That seems like a health code violation to me. No. Not to mention, like, slippery. It could be, but you would, I mean, you wouldn't, like, do it on the middle of the court, obviously. We had a little like trench in the bench area. You would just go, um, and then the fans, you know, unless you were a first class fan, like front row, they would kind of just shit piss on themselves. But they, w- they weren't like mad about it because it's like you still got to see a good game. That's ultimately what it's about. Yeah, it is all for the fans. But I wondered, did any players or coaches soil themselves when Don Shampoo walked into the gym? Oh yeah, all the time. A lot of players, when they were playing Don, would wear diapers because they knew kind of what was going to happen. 
because he, he could he could make you kind of uncontrollably have to go out of fear. Wow. I've never heard that. I mean, have you heard of basketball players having to wear diapers because the opposing player was so good? The intimidation had to be, you know, out of this world. I'm curious, though, because I, th- I thought for sure we could get a story of Don Shampoo shitting on someone. Don wasn't into that type of stuff. <laughs> he had morals, you know. He was a very spiritual man. But he did, like, bring out a, a lion. What was it, a lion or a tiger out onto the court just to intimidate? I mean, that seems immoral. I mean, that doesn't seem... No, I don't know. Immoral? Is that immoral? Bringing a tiger is immoral? I don't think it's immoral because when you're in competition, there's a difference between... Like, if you're shitting on someone, that's just basically you saying... That's like a big F you. That's, that, there's no reason for that. But if you're playing someone and it's last man standing... Anything goes. Last night, Devin Booker had five fouls. It was a crucial part of the game. And Drew Holiday goes up for a layup. And even though Booker has five fouls, he appears to intentionally foul Holiday. Now, he didn't get called on the play. Uh, and so he managed to stay in the game as a result. Did Don Shampoo ever have any games where he was in foul trouble? And how did he handle that? Because there's a lot of conversation today about whether Monty Williams sat Devin Booker for too long or or whatnot. So how did Don Shampoo handle foul trouble? Usually he could pray and he could like kind of inhabit the referees spiritually in a sense. Um, so whenever you'd get in foul trouble, that's when he'd kind of go into the referees and kind of mind control them. So he didn't have to worry about that. But I mean, watching, watching this finals has been frustrating for me because I, I used to work at a daycare and that's what it kind of reminds me of watching the Suns. They, they just whine. They whine and cry. Everyone wants their way. Everything's a foul. Then when they do it, it's not a foul. It, it's it's not basketball. It's it, it's like a legal battle every game. Wait, Don Shapu didn't complain to referees ever? Like, uh, Michael Jordan complained to referees. Yeah, he was soft. That's a hallmark of the NBA. Like, I don't understand why. The fact that you're coming on here... And talking like Don Shampoo never had a problem with a referee call or never complained. He just played basketball. He did. I find that very hard to believe abstract. See, this is the problem with the modern media. They twist what people say. He had a problem with the referee. No, I'm not twisting what you, I'm not twisting what you said. You twisted it. Like Don Shampoo, yeah, he had problems with refs, but you're not going to cry about it. That's why you have a 45. You pull it out. You take care of it. You don't cry. So Jay Crowder, when he's complaining about a call, he should bring out a revolver and and shoot the the referee. Is what you're saying? I don't I don't think that gets past. I mean, I mean, you tell me. Do you think that Jay Crowder could bring a weapon onto the floor? Yeah, that'd be possession of a firearm, attempted murder, according to you. But well, I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess the game has changed. Yeah. You think Jay Crowder should should pull out a, a firearm and take it out on, on James Capers Jr.? I mean, I don't expect that because they're a bunch of babies. He'd rather cry. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. This is uh, this stuff gets me so upset. All these old-timers, they always want to make everything seem like, oh, it was so much tougher back then. And now, one thing I think we can all agree about was that block that Giannis had on DeAndre Ayton. Unbelievable. Historic. One of the greatest defensive plays in finals history. Right? Uh, it was all right. I've seen better back in my day, but it was all right. Other than LeBron James in Game 7, I can't think of a single block in NBA Finals history that's on that level. Oh, you don't remember? So one time we were playing the Toledo um, 
I'm blanking on the name. Sorry, I'm getting old. It's a Torpedoes. Yes, that's it. Toledo Torpedoes. And uh, it was the finals, right? And everyone's making such a big deal about Giannis. You know, oh, he was guarding the guy and then he blocked it. Whoa, did come on. Back in our day, like Don Shampoo, he went for a layup, right? And he missed and he kind of tweaked his ankle. He was on the ground in excruciating pain. When I say kind of tweak, back then when we kind of tweaked our ankle, it was a 90 degree angle, his ankle from the rest of his leg. He was on the ground and they're going down, you know, the other team's going down on a fast break. Don is in excruciating pain under his own basket. And right when the guy goes to jump for the layup, Don gets up and leaps and swats it. Wait, on a broken ankle or you to use his other leg? No, he jumped on the broken one just to show people like anything's possible. He didn't even need to. Wait, Toledo Torpedoes. Who was their best player again? I I forgot. It was Chip. Ron Hamper. Ron Hamper. Ron Hamper. He had a great jump shot. He couldn't pass for shit, but great jump shot. Chip Simmons was a great... He was their leader in terms of passing. He had an awesome court vision. What was Toledo like back then? Like, what was the gym? Like, what do you remember from it? It wasn't really a gym. We didn't really have those back then. Just a court with some shit trenches on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, but they had diapers. They had diapers, but no, no bathrooms. Only when they played Don Shampoo. That's when the diapers came out. That was how diapers were invented, actually. What? Mm-hmm. Someone had to think of it because the players were tired of shitting themselves when they played Don Shampoo. Wow. So Pampers back then, it wasn't like oh, multiple jerseys every game. Like you had one jersey for your career, you know, and you had to wash it. You had to dry it. So they were tired of getting like shit and piss in it. So they invented that. What did you have at least two jerseys, one for home and one for the road? Because it's different colors, right? No, you had to dye it. You had to dye it. That could be tough, man. <laughs> yeah. So back to backs, it's like, think about it. Yeah, home and home. You barely have time to rest. You're you're dyeing it. Then you're washing it, drying it. It was a big thing back then. So uh, Reddit is going crazy these days talking about Don Shampoo and, and how he was erased from history. I actually came across, I didn't even know that what his jersey might look like or any sort of um, artifacts from Don Shampoo's era. And I kind of thought that it was all just whitewash scrubbed from from Earth. But Mm. I'm hearing rumors, Abstract, can you confirm or deny that there is a Don Shampoo jersey that is being sold right now? And I didn't even know these existed. Yeah, it's on my Instagram page. It's in the bio, the links in my bio, and it is one of the only things that survived when Don Shampoo basically turned himself into a human supernova. It destroyed himself and Earth 3, um, and these were just kind of the only thing left, and somehow they floated to where we are now. I don't understand. Earth 3? What's Earth 3? I can't really get into it, but let's just say sometimes Don gets a little carried away. <laughs> he created an alternate planet. You're saying he a what? few, a few, a few alternate timeline. Like, is it a different reality, or or is it's like a Rick and Morty thing? Not necessarily. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? No. It's where like some people remember Bernstein bears, some people remember Bernstein bears. So like me, I wouldn't. I don't want to say this. I don't want to get in trouble with the FBI. But I'll just say it real quick. Like me and Don are the only people from the original Earth. You guys, it's all the same timeline, but you guys don't really exist, I guess. We variants? Is that what you say? Are we variants like in Loki? You guys think you're a part of history, but really 
I, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to hurt your feelings. You were created in a lab. This jersey you're talking about, his name is on the back. Yep. And his number is what? 23. But that's Michael Jordan's number. I mean, it was Don Shampoo's number first. He's a goat. Is there any reasoning why he picked 23? I, I guess you would ask more Michael Jordan. This is what I'm talking about with the whole memories and Mandela effect. To me, it's not weird that he's number 23. You guys think it's weird because you really remember Michael Jordan more than Don Shampoo. But Don Shampoo was the original. I think he picked 23 just because. Four times in NBA history, a team has been down 0-2 to start a series, to start the finals, and then come back to win. You have 2016 with LeBron. You have 2006 with Dwayne Wade and the Heat. You have 1977 with Bill Walton and the Blazers. And then you have 1969, I believe. Bill Russell with the Celtics. Uh, what's the biggest series deficit that Don Shampoo had to overcome in the NBA playoffs? We were down 0-4 once in the finals and we came back. We'll see. It would have been done. I mean, it's, yes, you know, not, it's the seat. Not back then. Not I'm not buying then. this. I'm not buying this. This is all. No, we were down 0-4. I mean, I mean. Listen, please. This is please, all please. just uh, fan fiction here. That's all it is. Now, listen, you guys don't get it. Your generation never believes stuff. So we were down 0-4, but Don Shampoo made a deal with the commissioner. He said, let us try and come back from this. And if, and if we lose, you can kill me. He put his life on the line down 0-4 in a series. that he'd win five games in a row? No, just four. It was first to four, but theirs didn't count back then. No, it, it, it would be a tied at four. Four. Are you saying that the commissioner agreed that if he won four games? Why would the other team agree to that too? Who was the other team? Well, everyone wanted Don Shampoo dead because it would make the game easier. So they were willing to risk it. Do you remember, wasn't it a Fredericksburg? Who was the team that he played? The Fredericksburg Frankfurts. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of German influence on that team. <laughs> a lot of alliteration back then. You don't see that now, but a lot of like double yeah, letters. Seattle Supersonics gone, you know? That's yeah. it is. They try to erase it, right? Another era. It's gone. Yep. Now we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. That doesn't have any alliteration to it. Did Don Shampoo ever have an injury and had to play through it? I know the, the, the ankle injury is one with the block, but is there one, I think we've talked about like he lost an arm or he ripped someone's arm off and forced them to play. But what is the worst injury that he sustained in a game? Because uh, I saw Chris Paul has like a, he has a wrap on his on his arm, right on his wrist, and I'm wondering, did did Don Shampoo a have a similar injury, and b would he ever kind of tell the opponent with a wrap or a brace, hey, I'm injured, or would did he not believe in wraps or band aids or tape? He wouldn't let it be known. There's two stories that come to mind for this one. So I see how Devin Booker, right. People are showing stats about him before he broke his nose versus him after, how he hasn't been as consistent, right? It's like, grow up. It's like back in our day, like Don Shampoo, he had his nose broken in completely where like the bone was jutting out of the back of his head. Like it got punched so hard. Like we were so strong back then. And he dropped like 60 a quarter still for the rest of the playoffs. Was that the one that he averaged three assists a possession? Sorry, please don't laugh about our era because it's not funny. It's serious. But go on. I was asking. Sorry, excuse me. Pardon my. It's okay. Um, I'm I'm uh, angry. I'm angry, but I'll get over. It. 
I've been inconsiderate. I, I apologize for my bad decorum there. It's okay. Was that the same season he averaged three assists a possession? Uh, maybe. Hard for me to say. But you said there were two stories. You said there was the nose one. The worst one, I mean, it was a different era back then. Like, you hear everyone talking about mental health, this and that. And it's like back then, like, one time Don Shampoo, like, I mean, he, he did a lot of crazy things, you know, but that was just Don. But one day we were going, you know, there was this era where we were going through this weird time politically where everything was becoming overly moralistic. And um, they gave Don Shampoo a frontal lobe lobotomy. And uh, we had a game the next day and he showed up and he played amazing. And he didn't even have like use of his cognitive abilities. All right. So hold on for a second here. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. Yep. Yeah. That's not funny, man. A lobotomy. Uh huh. They lobotomized him and he played that night. Uh huh. And I'll never forget in the post game press conference, they asked him, like, how do you do it, Don? And he was just drooling. He was drooling all over and he just was like, oh. <laughs> for Frau Lock, did he do that? Just a few minutes. We didn't cut him off back then. Players weren't like, oh, I don't want to do interviews. They were honored, you know? Jesus Christ. Uh, wow. But but he fixed himself, you know. He uh there's actually a guy, um, Alexander Rosebush, one game. Finally, Don, I don't know how he reached this point, but he realized he just basically grabbed into the dude's head and got his frontal lobe and put it in his, he was, he was back to Don. <laughs> what, did he say anything? Like Alexander Rosebush was never the same. He was never the same. He was a shell of himself. He used to be an all-star and he was still a good role player after that, but he wasn't like the same. Oh, man, that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. My last question. Uh, as I said, we were talking to Coach uh, George Carr earlier, and he brought up uh, the idea that um, the game is still one at the rim. He says he knows the three-point shot is a new, you know, is a point of emphasis right now, but he still feels like basketball games are won and lost at the rim and, and that the aggression at the rim is is not only good for you winning, but also it's it's better and it's more entertaining when we get players going towards the rim. Uh, I realize we've talked a lot about Dan, Don Shampoo with you over the years, over the, uh, the years, over the, the the weeks, the months, but I never really got a clear idea. Like, what was his game like? Was he like a shooter? Was he a post up guy? Did he dunk on people? Like. What can you describe Don Shampoo's actual style of play? Great question. I mean, and how would it fit in today's NBA? Yeah, so back then, I, I like what he's saying, even though I disagree. Because back then, the game was different. So, the court, the it was basically like picture one hoop, and right when that rim ends, the other rim is right in front of it, and it's just like very small. And so, it was like a dog fight, just 10 people crammed in there, and we were just. <sighs> elbows and trying to dunk and shoot and i mean it was just a different time so he was more of a power player um he had he had a good jump shot he had a good like three footer <laughs> excuse me three foot jump shot abstract come on you I mean that's a layup it's not a jump shot that is a jump shot it was textbook form you could look up the highlights if they didn't erase them oh here we go 
I mean, look how hard this sport is. The court is five feet wide. No. Like running back on defense is just turning around. These guys, they keep chattering on, oh, the game back in my day. Try 94 feet. Try 94 feet. That's easier. Yeah, I don't think Don Shampoo would be very good in today's game. I hate to say that. That's it. not true. If his range is three feet. It's easier. You have so much room to operate, to do moves. Back then, there was 10 people in a five-by-five five court. That's basketball. Five-by-five five what? Like miles? Inches. So when he's taking a three-foot jump shot, he's out of bounds. Yeah. Sometimes he would showboat. You can't even fit one person in a five-by-five five inches. You couldn't. Nowadays, oh, back in my day, we were we were as thin as as a as a hair on your temple. We weren't thin; we just didn't give up. Yeah, it's small, but you just get in there. You I play ball anymore. Yeah. Get this guy out of here, Tom. Abstract. Get him out I, of I, here. I'm so tired. Like I've never heard about baskets being next to each other or a three foot jump shot. Not everything was better back in the day. I'm gonna just say that right now. That's the last thing I'm gonna say on Not that. Not true. Not everything was better back in the day. I think. If you look at every sport, players get better. No one's taking a sprinter from like the 1952 Olympics and saying he's better than Usain Bolt or someone running today, right? It, time moves forward. Sports evolve. Athletes evolve. Basketball is better today than it ever was before. And I want to hear it. I'm sick and tired of hearing all these old school people. The lob play that Leonis blocked, you know why no one ever did that? It's because they never had players athletic enough to do an alley-oop. So like, oh, back in my day, this block happened or that block happened. Like the fact that he had to guard Devin Booker 15 feet out from the basket and then was fast enough, long enough, smart enough and and had the the dexterity to block him at the rim. That never happened back in Don Shampoo's day because they weren't good enough to have an alley-oop lob. We didn't need to, man, but you wouldn't get that. Right. Nice comeback there, abstract. Okay. Yeah. Hooligan. Well – if I wanted to get a Don Shampoo jersey to burn outside in my yard. They're unburnable, by the way, but go on. They're not burnable? They survived the soup when Don supernova themselves. So I can't say this legally, but they might contain some gives them a shell. But I can't say that. You just said it. I said I can't though. I won't. And I didn't. Wait, Maze, do we need to do we need to cut that from the from the tape or Bossa Nova? That's a Bossa Nova and a half, right? Okay. Don't forget to Bossa Nova that. No, it was a different era. It was legal back then. So if I wanted to if I wanted to buy this, where would I be able to purchase such a thing? My Instagram, shout out to Wade and Williamson. Uh he made it. He has an awesome website. The link is in my bio and my Instagram is abstract shine abstract dot shine but i'm pretty sure if you type in abstract shine you'll find me there it is ladies and gentlemen okay i'm gonna just buy all of them and burn all of them because i i can't stand all these stories yeah, bonfire i'm going to the beach abstract uh, there'll be lots to talk about in the finals and free agency in the draft so we'll be- we'll have you back on to spew some more fake news about don shampoo it's not all right cool thank you